Yes, today's reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, and it's on page 1042 in the Church Bibles. Luke, chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, in, will your Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Church. Thank you, Sue. Can I have the first slide up? Thank you. I wonder how you talk to God. Easy question, that isn't it? Maybe we have this lovely angelic picture of this darling little child being able to pray. Isn't that nice? And maybe if, like this one, you put your hands together really hard, squeeze your eyes shut tight with a Bible in your hand, then it's going to make all the difference in the world. I hate to tell you, it's a bit of a fantasy. Prayer is not always quite like that. Prayer is actually simply talking to God. And by simply, I mean communicating with him in a very natural way. When you communicate with someone, the idea is that you take turns. Yes? Do you remember, those of you who have had any connection with children, how important it is to teach them to 
take turns. That's not just with playing with toys, but it's my turn to talk now, and it's your turn to listen. Most of the time when we talk to God, we do all of the and none of the listening, yes, or very little of the listening. Because you see, I found this picture, and it was just so graphic to me. Um, there's an older lady talking to a slightly younger lady, and she's got her arms on her shoulders. Now, I, I love looking at body language, and that could mean a whole bunch of things, couldn't it? You could say, oh, she's comforting this woman. But where is the eye contact? The older woman is looking intently at the younger one, but can the younger one look at her? No, she's got her eyes down. I don't think that's anything like turn-taking. One of them is taking a turn at the other. Yes? I'm going to tell you this, and just in case you didn't remember, excuse me, Ros, I'm going to shake your shoulders until you get what I'm saying. Sometimes our prayers are a little bit like that. God, are you really, really listening? Well, the truth is, yes, always. Sometimes when we pray, we think that it's like some kind of giant chocolate machine. How many like chocolate? Okay, yeah. We put our little prayers in the coin slot and wait for exactly the answer we want to come out. Oh, of course, you're never going to admit that out loud, but sometimes that's the attitude. We put our prayers in, and magically, it comes out. The trouble is, we don't always pray like children either. I want to challenge you this morning. Do you pray like a teenager? For those of you who don't know the picture on screen, Kevin, beautifully characterized by Harry Enfield, so stereotypical of many teenagers. We like to think that teenagers are like that, forgetting that to get to this point in life, we must have been one once. But do you pray like a teenager, splurging out your demands, getting really cross and angry when they're not met immediately, just the way we asked for it? That's not my chocolate. Jesus was struggling with this with his own disciples. Our scripture reading tells us that the disciples were watching him pray. Can you imagine how tricky that is? He's praying, hoping for a bit of peace and quiet, and his disciples are glaring at him. How is he doing it? As if somehow there is a magic formula. And they say, teach us to pray, just like John did, you know, just in case Jesus had forgotten how to pray. Uh, I need to think about that one. <laughs> no, Jesus knew exactly how to pray. And what does Jesus start doing? He starts saying, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What we know is the Lord's Prayer. Yes? Yeah, it's very interesting. This is not the first time Scripture has recorded this prayer. It is the second. The first time, I will tell you, is in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Yes? 
You get the slightly longer version there. But it happened two years before this conversation took place. You may not have realized that. Now, what that is saying to me is Jesus has already taught them the Lord's Prayer. And it's almost as if he's saying, teach us to pray? Okay, I thought we covered this. Okay, let, let's go through it again. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then he stops. When he gets to and lead us not into temptation, he pauses. He's trying to say this is a relationship with a father. It shouldn't be that complicated. But you obviously don't get it. Have you ever tried to teach a child something and you're in full flow and you get a glazed expression? Maybe not just the children. Yes, I see some of you have had to do this with adults and they just... It's so reminiscent to me of... Oh, yes, I wanted to say that. I came across that lovely advert, teenager for sale, eye-rolling, back-chatting, temper tantrums, and I already know everything included. All sales are final. <laughs> I know a couple of teenagers like that. I wonder how often in prayer do we spiritually roll our eyes. Yeah. But it reminds me of this. Do you remember? What's the film? Down in music, where Maria, otherwise known as Julie Andrews, takes the children up the mountain to teach them all about music. And she's going off on her wonderful explanation. And the children go, glazed expressions. So what does she do? Picks up a guitar and goes, do a dear, female dear. <laughs> See, you know it already, don't you? The way she taught got it home, yes? None of the sort of theory, but as soon as she sang it, and you know, if you know the sound of music very well, that by the end of that particular song, they're in the middle of Salzburg doing eight-part harmony. It's extraordinary. Jesus seems to switch from the theory to a different way to approach the problem. And he does it in a style that he's very, very comfortable with. Parables. We don't often think of this as a parable, but it is a parable. And he starts to tell them about three men. Doesn't he? The, men, the man who visits, the man who is asleep in bed, and another one who's asleep in bed. But the middle one has got no food. Okay? You know the story very well from verse 5 to verse 8. Jesus says to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are I in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Oh! Now, it's at this point, ladies and gentlemen, that having had to admit to Tim how many freddos I gave away when I last spoke, <laughs> I have no freddos. 
But we have lollipops, so I suppose that will do just as well. What time is it in the story? Oh, do I have to give my husband one because he answered first? Yeah, go on, catch. Lovely. It's midnight. Nobody else... Sorry, I'm going to give you two one as well because you are working so beautifully. Well done. How much food does the man ask for? Oh, there was someone over here. Dave. Three loaves. How rude. If you're going to ask, one would be sufficient, surely. But no, he asks for three. We might think, you should have prepared for this. That was me. I'd have stuff in the freezer and shove it in the microwave. Never so sorry, folks. They did not have freezers and microwaves at this point. But I think that's a very human reaction. So this man in the story comes at midnight. I think that would be my kind of reaction if someone hammered on my door at midnight. But obviously, this friend on the journey has not told him ahead of time, I'm just going to drop in. So he couldn't have prepared. So he asks for not one, but three loaves. Now, if you have your Bible still out in front of you, and I hope you do, Luke 11, verse 7. We have four reactions. What is the first thing the man says? Don't bother me. I heard Kirsten's voice. Well, well done. What's the second thing? Pardon? The door is locked. Come on, I need a bit louder on this side. I'm hearing from... Thank you. The door is locked. Third thing. My children and I are in bed. And the fourth thing? I can't get up and give you anything. Right. I think that would have been his reaction, don't you? Steam coming out of my ears. Don't bother me. No one likes being woken up at midnight. Of course they don't. Don't bother me. I think sometimes we think we bother God. Oh, not you again. Oh, I know when he prays, I'm going to be in for a long night, says God. Does God ever think like that? No. We sometimes assume that he needs his beauty sleep. I'm so grateful that Psalm 121 tells us, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. How about the door is already locked? I think the man who had no food kind of got that as he's hammering on the door. But he's prepared to risk it anyway. Me, I'd have gone and then run. No, he is hammering. Oh, I love this one. My children are with me in bed. Okay, we have a few babes in today. Um, I wonder if you've ever had the opportunity when your little one would not go to sleep. You've tried. Oh, yeah, I'm hearing some other. Yeah, they won't go to sleep. And you've tried and you've done all of the things that the health visitor told you to do and they still won't go to sleep. 
and eventually you give in and let them come into bed with you. And magically, they fall asleep and you stay awake because you're scared of rolling onto them. Yes? Am I speaking truth? The last thing you want is someone hammering on the door. My kids are with me in bed. Shut up. I can't get up and give you anything. The can't word there in, in Greek is actually the word dunamis, from which we get power, dynamite. What he's saying is, I have no power to give you anything. What is the answer to the question, can I have three loaves of bread, going to be? No. Under those, it should be, not a chance. I've given you four excellent reasons why the answer is no. However, we have this incredible next verse. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's an amazing verse. Surely the story was, the answer's going to be no. And Jesus says, there's a reason why the answer's now going to be yes. And what is it? Shameless audacity. Some translations have boldness, persistence, because you stood your ground. But I saw that and I thought, I love that phrase in prayer. Shameless audacity. Audacity can sometimes mean being a bit cheeky. But actually, it means being brave, taking a risk. That's what this neighbor did. He took a risk and he asked with confidence. How about the shameless bit? That's an odd word to you, surely. Well, I think it simply means that he apportions no shame either way. He's not blaming God, saying, you didn't notice that I didn't have three loaves of bread at midnight. It's not God's fault. But neither is he applying shame or blame to himself. And I think this can be very important. You see, going back to Kevin, if you've watched any of the sketches where Kevin, the character, comes out, you know that very quickly the very reasonable comments of the parents are countermanded by this, I hate you. I hope that wasn't too good an impression, but you seem to get it. And it's the instant reaction. Almost saying, I knew you were never going to help, so I'm going to hate you. Now, we may never actually say those words to God, but we could have a similar reaction. When God doesn't answer, we end up blaming ourselves. Yes? Am I speaking truth? We say, if only I'd prayed in this way, or used that form of words, or prayed at that time, it would have been different. We can sometimes spend a long time in introspection, analyzing every word, every nuance, hoping against hope for a different reaction. But the truth is, Jesus in this passage is not saying, there is something wrong with your prayers, or even that you shouldn't keep on praying. Never underestimate the power of persistence. 
Sometimes our prayers don't get answered yet. Now, I appreciate, I'm very, very conscious, sometimes our deepest prayers are not answered. And that is utterly and totally tragic. But as I'm studying this, the thing that comes more and more to my mind is, does that mean God is not God? No. And it's all about how will I trust him. Persistence is important. But I've heard some people say, well, if you, you're persistent in prayer, it's like you're doing this to God. Nag, 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 nag. Well, if I can tell you most gently, God can handle that. <laughs> he can handle the repeats. It really doesn't matter how many times you say it. Thankfully, God is not like me because I respond really badly to nagging. I dig my heels in. But prayer, you see, is all about attitude. It's not about the right words, the contents necessarily. It's not formulaic. It's having that confidence, audacious approach. God, I have a big ask. And I'm coming to you confident. There is one final danger that I want to mention at this point. It's sometimes... We think like this, why should I pray when God doesn't answer all my prayers? And I think, being very real, for whatever reason, God sometimes doesn't answer prayer. And Satan tries to slip in and say, see, what kind of a God are you worshipping? You didn't answer that one. Conveniently forgetting that he has answered many more. Conveniently forgetting that God holds the big picture and we don't. Conveniently forgetting that God will take us through to the other side. A teenager would pray like that. Why should I pray when God doesn't answer all my prayers? Nah, let's not do that. The reality is that God will not answer all of your prayers in the way that you want, but he will answer in the way that is best. And that's really hard. Time is rushing. Jesus finishes off this parable with this very well-known passage. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Every single one of those statements has a time frame. Is it past, future, or present? It's future. Shall. I read that as future. It shall be given to you. Yes? Trouble is, we have no idea what the time frame is. We can ask, and we expect instant gratification. More and more in our culture. Instant gratification. There's the chocolate machine again. Jesus said, ask and trust that it will be given. Seek and trust that you will find it. Knock, trust that the door will be opened to you. To ask means saying it directly to God. Don't tell everyone else your needs. Go straight to him. First and foremost. To seek, that's active, determined, 
It's making that request a priority above everything else. And to knock involves some kind of physical movement. You need to move towards God if you're going to knock. Can God be trusted? Yes, categorically. Because Jesus rams off the whole section and says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or for an egg, will give him a scorpion? God wants to give us good gifts. But you know, sometimes he will not give us everything we want because he knows what that would mean to us. I recall some of the prayers that I had as a child. And if God had answered those, I would be in big trouble. Because it usually involved other people becoming physically hurt. God, I'm not allowed in school to bash so-and-so, but you could. (laughs) But I think there are other prayers that we said, God, would you do this, would you do this, would you do this? And if he could talk to us face-to-face now, I'm sure we'd say, Actually, no. Have you ever been a parent and had to say, I know you want it, but no. There are really good reasons. I'll finish with this. It's very rare. You might find this surprising. That John and I have arguments. Very rare indeed. It sounds idyllic. Core, no arguments. It's actually rather worrying. Simply because we realized fairly early on that we were acting like two rather fragile hedgehogs. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything in case I hurt you. Ever? Yeah? If I was doing some marriage counseling, you either are a hedgehog or a rhino. Both are equally difficult. We were terrified of what would happen if we did have an argument. So we would kind of skirt around it quite a lot. It took a long time for us to realize that we could express all of our thoughts and fears without fear of damaging the relationship. However, over the last few years, we've been through some particularly difficult external circumstances in our family. And if you get to know me very well, you know that if I am under a lot of stress, I don't talk a lot. In fact, I shut up. If I go really quiet, watch out. And I would emotionally withdraw because I couldn't handle it myself and I didn't want to inflict it on John. And we discovered a really helpful phrase. It's called filter off. In other words, all of the filters I would put in place to protect you from my anger, I'm taking away. Now, if I said the word filter off, at that point, John just said, okay. I'll just sit and listen. That's the important thing. Stop. Listen very, very carefully. But understand, I needed to process all of the angst, all of the fear. 
Surprise, surprise. It deepened the relationship. Because I could be fully real in all aspects of who I was. And John took the turn as well. I said, do you want to do a filter off? Well, as you asked... <laughs> Never quite like that, no. But we gave each other space to do it with each other. And it worked wonders. I'm telling you this morning that sometimes you need to say to God, God, filter off. This is how it is. Without worrying that he's going to blame you, shame you, or condemn you. Or say, call yourself a Christian. I am going to get you in front of Dave Pierce and get expelled from Midgate. <laughs> Never happening. God loves you unconditionally. Which means you can say what you like. You can think what you like. Most of David's Psalms... Very Hebraic way of going about things. Listed how he hated his enemies. And he asked God to do all manner of unmentionable things to them. And then right at the end he said, but Lord, I know that you are good. <laughs> and it's almost as if, God, I can trust you with feeling so angry. But in the end, I'm going to trust you. That you're going to bring something good out of this if I'm honest and real with you. I don't think for one second, when those... Lovely disciples said, teach us to pray, that they realized what they were going to get. Jesus said, come, not like a teenager with a temper tantrum. Come as a grown-up. Say what you feel. And then take time to take turns and listen. God wants to give you good gifts. Do not let prayers which are not answered how you wanted them to be, hinder you from praying at all or distort your understanding of God's unconditional love for you. So what am I saying finally? Don't pray like a teenager. Be bold. Be audacious. Confident in who you're asking. Do not apportion shame or blame. Just promise yourself it's not going to come into the equation. Ask. Seek. Seek. A knock. Amen.